0: Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. We're actually recording here live before the show starts on Saturday. We're at the Western Hunting Expo uh, here in Salt Lake City, Utah. I've got Nigel Bird of Backcountry New Zealand here with me and his wife, Miriam. And, uh, you know, seeing you at the show last year was so exciting to see you guys here. My wife and I, the background I have with you guys is in. We came for our honeymoon, and it was 2005, I believe, is when we came. Yep. March of 2004, or March of 2005. Correct. And we did nine days in New Zealand. Excuse me, we did 14 days, but we fished for nine days. And three of those days, we got to fish with a, a fishing guide named Nigel Burt. That's correct.
1: Remember and it fondly.
0: This character right here is so into fishing that we were driving down the road and he was trying to describe to me a fishing situation of a presentation of a fly and he whips out a sharpie of some sort dry erase marker and starts riding on the window of the Track. vehicle as we're going and i'm like this guy is into it so <laughs> we had such a great time fishing and i've wanted to get you on the podcast we've had you on Have I had you on before?
1: No, I don't think
0: we have. We've talked about it. Yeah, talked about it several times. We're busy
1: people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: But here we are at the show, um, just surrounded in your booth here with incredible red stag, and it's been awesome to see you kind of transition from... Hardcore fishing guide to branching out and doing hunting, fishing, doing all the things that you do. You have a place where the hunters come and stay and it's just awesome. So yeah. welcome.
1: Oh thank you Jay. It was um, definitely a special fishing trip that we had. Yeah, um, I remember a beautiful big brown trout for your wife mm-hmm. on your honeymoon. And... Um, Yeah, you don't forget those special times that we had. The weather was good, the fishing was great, all of those sorts of things. And that was back in 2005, so we were actually getting into the hunting a lot at that stage. Um, We were definitely a larger business. We had partners and and guides working for us and those sorts of things back in 2005. But of course in 2008 things slowed down a little bit Mm -hmm. with the global financial crisis. So Marim and I at that point, we sat back and we looked really long and hard at our business and what we wanted to do and be a part of within that business and probably the toughest thing um, in that in those tough couple of years that we had um, New Zealand had the earthquake straight after the global financial crisis so there was a big slowdown in tourism for a few years but that's not a bad thing because we sat back looked at our business really strategically and we went hey what do we love doing and The reality is, is Miriam and I love doing what we're doing now, which is we're a number one stop shop for for everyone. We do one hunt or one fishing trip at a time. We host clients in our own accommodation. We've got our own hunting property, which we'll talk about in depth uh, shortly. Um, But we've gone back to being just ourselves, working in the business and on the business. And so, so prior to 2008, we were kind of getting a little bit despondent because you've got this big outfitting business with guides running around and instead of guiding a lot, you're actually a human resource manager. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, so it's about finding out what your passion is and our passion is is delivering incredibly good um, trips of a lifetime to guests that are coming to New Zealand, predominantly from North America, and um, and that's what we're really passionate about, and we get a lot of enjoyment out of out of that as well. So it was a it was a tough couple of years, um, as you get in global financial crisis, and and you realise that everyone in America was suffering as well. And then we were followed up with those earthquakes in Christchurch, which um, slowed things down with airlines and flights and stuff like that a little bit. But overall, we've recovered really well. We enjoy what we're doing now. Um, We're here at the expo every year and uh, this is probably our seventh year in a row here now. Um, This works really really well for, for us. We just love meeting people, we've got lots of Context like yourself that we bump into it was so nice to catch up with you again Jay after all these years yeah
0: and you know I every time I've come by the booth over the last couple years you just have people all around you and it's just so great to see a business see you guys flourishing and what you it's obvious you and your wife love what you're doing you have that personal connection with people and you know you see people coming up and giving you big hugs and you know that I'm sure that's what drives you to do what you do yep Um, to back up just a little bit we're talking about primarily the South Island of New Zealand. Correct. Um, Let's tell our listeners a little bit about New Zealand, where it's located for some of the people that might not know, and then talk about specifically
1: within the South Island like where your hub is. Yeah, great, that's a good idea. And um, so New Zealand, it's way out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. You know, It's from Christchurch, our main city in the South Island, and that's the port of entry where we pick you guys up. We're only a five hour flight down to Antarctica and so the the good old Antarctica um, base is in Christchurch so there's a lot of Americans coming out for that base as well so but from LA or from San Francisco that's a 12 hour flight overnight flight so the easiest way to get to New Zealand is often with Air New Zealand. So some people use their air miles they'll fly uh, with Delta or American a lot of those flights often get routed through um, Australia. So you're actually adding on about six hours and a bit of logistics to that whole trip. So if you want the simplest, most effective form of getting to New Zealand and and with the least amount of jet lag and the least amount of hassle, then Air New Zealand is great. So they fly direct out of LA, San Fran and Houston. Um, Now American Airlines are experimenting with some flights direct into Christchurch which will be phenomenal Um, the time period will work for the fly fishing season at the moment so that will crank up next summer our summer which is your winter and then they're going to play around with some dates around that and it may not flow too far into the hunting season but we'll just keep listeners and people informed with that. New Zealand is a stunning uh, couple of large islands. Um, People were quite amazed at how large they are, which you would have been Jay. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Yeah, Um, and yes, and the South Island has probably, there's there's two thirds of the population in North Island, one third in the South Island. There's um, just over a million people in the South Island and it's a pretty big island. And of
0: that million, a bunch of them are
1: in a couple of the big cities, yeah, right? Yeah, So there's four hundred thousand in Christchurch. Uh, Dunedin's a pretty large city as well. So the you know the great thing about South Islands, the landscapes are changing every hour of driving. Where every two hours of driving, it's just so diverse in landscapes. It's so pretty, and then um, you, you come on and. And uh, you're just blown away by the lack of people, you know. And and likewise, every time I'm in Salt Lake driving on the freeway, I'm just sure. blown away by the number of people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're very fortunate in that respect, and and luckily we're still an advanced enough country to have all the right facilities. So the accommodations, the meals, uh, the transport. It's you know we don't have freeways, but we've got pretty good roads given that we've only got four and a half million people over a vast land mass yeah. that was one of the things
0: that struck me was the roads
1: are actually in
0: really good shape yep. at least they were when i was there yep the other thing is the countryside and the pride of ownership with the new zealand people i always tell people you just you're driving around you're in the country and you know you're it's just beautiful but you come to you know a few little houses here and there farms and what have you and there's not just stuff piled up like here in america a lot of places you'll get in rural america and you'll just have jacked up trucks and you know trailers off the you know off the wheels and you know this whole thing and it just seemed like new zealand you know people's yards were trimmed beautiful flowers like it yep. there was a whole sense of pride of ownership that that we noticed yep you know coming from here going there where it seemed like people really had pride in everything that they
1: do exactly and it in, a, in It it just flows, it's our culture, you know, we're friendly, happy people. Um, We've had our challenges because, you know, we we sit on an alpine fault, we get earthquakes occasionally, Um, and we don't have a massive economy, so you just have to spread the money around a little bit, but everyone's got a lot of pride in New Zealand, how green it is, how we respect the land, and we're caretakers of that. So chucking trash out the window, that's just something that's not seen. It doesn't happen. Yeah and frowned upon a lot. Let's talk a little bit about the
0: seasons uh, before we kind of get into your operation. What the listeners need to know is it's kind
1: of a reverse. Exactly, it's six months, so plus or minus six months. Mm. So. Uh, Right now it's uh, winter here, and you guys are heading into spring hopefully soon. I'm sure you're all ready for that. And um, but for us, you know, we just came out of a when we jumped on the plane to come over here, it was a a really nice, warm 94 degrees Fahrenheit, which is pretty warm for us. Um, And but we'll be we go back, so we leave the show uh, next week. We'll head straight back into a few more weeks of fishing guiding, and then we're straight into our fall hunting season. So when it's spring in America, it's fall in the in the is on in New Zealand so and your
0: business primarily you do tons of fishing but your your biggest amount of business is in the hunting Definitely. it's kind of made a switch and now you're m- way more focused on the hunting than you are the fishing yep. but you still have that aspect of hardcore backcountry fishing and fishing getting the full well. experience. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah well I mean a big driver of that is um, fly fishing in New Zealand is all public access. Uh, there's very little private access um, and the fishing is absolutely fantastic. But we do get storm cycles coming through and we do see an, an increase in angling pressure. Um, so whilst the fishing is still really, really good and, and really exciting, um, the the big driver for our business is you know we're really passionate about the hunting. We now own, um, as of last year, we now own 100% of our 3,000 acre um, hunting block, which is our predominant red stag block. Uh, we, d- we don't have tar on there. We have the odd um, chamois, um, and we've got fallow deer and rams on there. So the tar, they have. Um, bec- there's a government policy or a tar management plan where the tar aren't allowed north of a big river system called the Rangatada. And so the tar uh, an hour south of our base and our red stag property is an hour north of our base. Um, but yeah, definitely because of the owning that property and it, it's it's a part of our business we can control a lot better than um, just having to deal with the weather or other outside influences. Um, the fishing when it's on is fantastic. This year we've had a big mouse year, So a lot of your listeners won't understand but uh, what... What our forests do is every five or seven years the forest will dump a huge amount of seed on the ground over there and you get this massive plague of mice and rats that eat all the seed. And um, they run out of food and they swim across rivers and the trout eat them big time. I've seen photos of trout uh, that have been killed and they've opened up the stomach contents there's 13 mice and 2 rats. Jeez. Which is a huge amount of protein. Oh yeah. And so that's... Yeah, We've got big genetic for our, for our brown trout and rainbows, and we, and we get large fish anyway, but on years like this, which come around, it's sort of every five years, that's when we're starting to regularly see 10, 12, 14 pound brown trout freely feeding in the rivers. So at that point in time, you can
0: actually strip mice on the surface, or are you fishing them subsurface, and the fish just really
1: keyed in on them? Yeah, you can strip mice on the surface, and at night it's phenomenal. You know, so um, you can get out there and do that at night. Uh, During the day, sometimes it it can be tough as well. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna cover anything up, you know, because they often get their fill of mice in the at night time under a full moon. So in the daytime, they can be sitting pretty doggo in a big pool, and you'll go. It's a 14-pound trout, but he's not moving a lot, you know, and he's not... He's full. He's full. Yeah, Yeah, and, and so you chuck a size 16 mayfly up there and float that past him. He's not interested whatsoever. So you just have to be a little bit strategic in those mouse years and try some different techniques.
0: So sometimes the mouse years, they can gorge
1: themselves so much that it
0: actually makes it where the fish are kind of tough to catch. They can
1: be very tough to catch. And people latch on to the, uh, the mouse shears as well. So, you know, there's an increase in angling pressure sure. because everyone knows it's a mouse shear. Because they want to see the big explosion on the surface yep. with a 10 plus pound Yeah, and they want to see those big trout. Right. So uh, you have to have, New Zealand isn't a land of catching a lot of trout, as you guys would have experienced. But the, the quality of the trout is phenomenal. And the experience, so you have to go in there with an open mind and just say, "I've just got to keep trying. I've got to be patient. I've got to keep trying." And over, over the, the the clients we have that come back year on year on year on year, they know they're going to have good years, mediocre years, and um, some pretty average years, and that's all driven by weather and yeah. trout patterns. And stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And,
0: and and with that, also with those years within that year of fishing, when those clients come back for you know a week or two weeks or whatever they're coming back for, three days. There's always going to be a good couple hours. Yeah. A good day. Yep. A bad day. I mean, it's just part of it. That's but part, the reward fishing, is it? a giant fish. Yep. Yeah. And that's what most people come to New Zealand for. Americans come yep. because they. I mean, we don't have the ten to fifteen pound brown trout
1: here. We do, but not like you can go there and actually. Catch a few sight fish, fish right. them in a the river, you right. know. and and if you're lucky, you'll turn up on the river on the right day. You'll bump into a big brown trout, and and you know the ten pound plus fish are hard to come by, but um, they're there. There's no doubt, yeah. and you'll see photos of them this year. Um, and you'll, if you're lucky, you'll see that fish. That if all the conditions will be right. There'll be a mayfly hatch going on. That fish will be up near the surface, feeding on them, and that's when, you know, ten years of of fly fishing all comes down to this moment. One cast. It's phenomenal, (laughs) it's so exciting. And if you get rewarded with netting and taking a photo of that fish, it's just a
0: a lifelong dream. Yeah. Yeah. I know for me it was just unbelievable to go and I keep telling people I want to go, but I want to go back for like at least a month. I want to go where I can, you know, maybe have one, two, three good days and, you know, experience and not feel like I'm rushed, Just. Go experience, I, you know. I just had such a great time. Your hunting operation, would you say, is
1: primarily f- centered around the red stag? The red stag's the big driver for people wanting to come to New Zealand. You know, brand New Zealand is is brand red stag as well. You can get red stag elsewhere in the world, but New Zealand is very well known for the red stags. And we, we had those genetics um, gifted to New Zealand back in 1904 and 1906. Uh, So the red stags came out of Europe, we had, we were lucky enough genetically to get a couple of bloodlines, so um, this is a really interesting point, so our English um, bloodline of red stag came off the royal family and and some of those estates um, within England. Their genetical traits were lots of points but not very long antlers and, and not a lot of mass. But we also managed to get an Eastern European red stag bloodline and the genetics there was a lot of mass and a lot of time length. And because those two lots of genetical traits have um, been delivered to New Zealand way back then and then we've got the perfect feeding conditions and and environment for them, we don't have very harsh winters for example, Mm. um, we were lucky enough to get some of the best genetics in the world really early on in the piece and now we've just got these incredible stags that are throwing all sorts of stuff and you You sit here and you look at all these stags. They're individually so different. Oh, absolutely
0: I I think that's the difference between our, you know, our Rocky Mountain Elk and say a stag in that you look at a lot of this non-typical you look at a lot of just the extra just unbelievable point structure. Yep. When is the roar. The roar. And, you know yeah. I know people ask me when the elk rut and it's kind of a little hard to pin down exactly but just historically you know what is kind of the major time frame and then even more specifically as within that is there kind of a two three four week period
1: where it's like this is the really good time. Exactly the four week period the the peak of the rut we call it the roar um, and and that's because they roar they roar yeah. like a lion. Um, the peak of that period is definitely uh, the last two weeks of March, and the first two weeks of April. So building rut is, um, like we'll go home, we'll start hearing some, some stags starting to moan and groan and, and rut around us um, early March. And then uh, yeah, you'll peak mid-March, and that'll slow down pretty noticeably by the middle of April. We do get a second cycle where the, the hind cycle again, the, the ones that haven't got pregnant in the mm. first part of the rut and the stags do fire up again. So you'll hear right through till the end of May you'll hear stags moaning and, and roaring occasionally but that peak period is um, end of March, early April. If you want to combine your hunt with fly fishing, March is the month because okay. uh, the bulk of our rivers are, are open till the end of, of March We've got some rivers open at the end, of, uh, until the end of April, but then everything closes for spawning. So late February through March, we've got red stags and hard antler. They're stripping at the moment; they're just finishing mm-hmm. stripping. Um, and then we've got good fly fishing towards the end of the season as well. So, and we talked about
0: South Island. We, you know, you kind of talked about you, you can fly into Christchurch. There's different options as far as your location within the South Island kind of about the middle, isn't it?
1: We're very much the middle. So we're one hour inland from um, from Christchurch Airport. So most flights will come in at the moment. They come into Auckland Airport where you'll clear customs. Mm-hmm. You'll fly down one hour down to Christchurch and Miriam and I will pick you up there. Okay. And and we go and see the taxidermist because he's only 10 minutes away. Okay. And we head straight up to our hunting ground which is 45 minutes drive. Okay. And that first day we'll do a lot of... Um, Just getting a feeling for the landscape. We'd jump in the side by side, drive around, get the binocs and spotting scope out, start seeing some animals and those sorts of things. Um, And... Then from there, um, before you get too tired, because obviously the first day or so you're dealing with a little bit of jet lag, mm-hmm. uh, we get you back home and settle down. So between our hunting grounds, we're about an hour's drive back to our base farm. We've got a little 24-acre farm that we've got our cottages on. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some photos there on the back wall, which your listeners can't see. Um, but we built these cottages, um, purposely built for hunters and, and mm-hmm. flyers fishing people mm-hmm. as well so. And they're beautiful. They're stunning, they're, yeah. um, they're, they're well laid out, They've, uh, they're beautiful, we love staying in them as well. We've got outdoor baths at both of those cottages and a big part of that is because we don't have any light pollution or pollution so our stars in the southern hemisphere are just amazing, the milking way, the southern cross. Um, So a lot of people after their hunt will come in and fill up the tubs outside and put the bubble bath in and Mm -hmm. just, you know, rest the body and watch satellites and shooting stars and the Milky Way, which is a really enjoyable part of the experience. Talk about on the island
0: itself predation. I mean, uh, uh, you know, you guys don't have the coyotes, the mountain lions, the bobcats, what we experience here. So talk a little bit about that. Some of the good things about that, and maybe some of the struggles with that.
1: Yeah. So the um the the incredible part of New Zealand is that uh, pre people turning up on the place there was there was on, the only mammal was a tiny little bat. So we had a lot of birds, um, and a lot of insects, but there weren't any any mammals. And then the Polynesians came in, and they would have brought a few things like um, some of their food sources and dogs and cats and. Um, probably a couple of mice and rats and those sorts of things. Probably that were on the ships and they just exactly, over. and Exactly, and then as the Europeans came in, um, they started bringing everything else, and that's where some of our wild sheep have come from because when the the first explorers travelled around the Pacific, every time they stopped somewhere, they would drop off a breeding pair of sheep so that next time they came back, that was a food source for them. And, interesting. Uh, so uh, a lot of the wild sheep, like the Arapawa ram, which is a big, Brown, we call them Bob Marleys because they've got dreadlocks and double curls. Um, so they all originated from those early settlers chucking them out of boats for a food source. And are they
0: fairly plentiful?
1: Yes, they are. Yep, yep they're all over the place and um, and fun to hunt. So they're a nice little add-on. They're like nine hundred bucks for a, mm-hmm. for a double curl ram. So that's pretty fun. Um, but we don't have predators, so we don't we don't have anything that eat the deer or the sheep or anything. So there aren't any bobcats, there aren't any wolves, there aren't any crazy things. We don't have snakes and and major spiders, so you actually feel really safe when Mm -hmm. you're hunting and fly fishing, (laughs) (laughs) which is really nice. Um, So obviously that's the the positives of that is as New Zealanders, we can hunt every day of the year. Uh, We can take as many animals as we like. And if we don't do that, then the deer populations overpopulate. And so that happened in the 60s and the 70s, uh, where the forest starts getting really damaged, we start getting landslips, the deer just took over. And so the government then employed professional colours and and then the helicopter industry started up where they were paid pretty good money to fly around and kill as many animals as they could. That then evolved into, hey, there's a market for all this meat and there's a market for velvet as well. And that's when we saw... um, farming start so the helicopter colors created these net guns that are often used for wild animal recovery because we brought that technology to America. Um, And so they went out and live captured all of these deers and started a farming industry which was selling the meat to Europe and America and selling the um, velvet to China and Korea. Mm And, and so those are big farming industries in New Zealand that all evolved from the fact that we didn't have predation of our our game species. So um, the pros are that we can hunt every day of the year, um, take what we want. The negatives to that are um, you, you need to be able to manage your genetics to get these big heads. So the fact that we can hunt every day of the season means that um, anyone that goes out that's a new hunter for example will come across what would be a genetically really nice uh, red stag probably seven years down the track they'll harvest it at two years and they're taking those good genetics out of that gene pool um, and and they're often leaving the poor genetics in there. So in public lands whilst you can still get um, very nice big red stags on occasion you um, often see a lot lower quality red stags for that very reason, that we're hunting them all the time and we're, we're taking out the good genetics. On private properties, which are the bulk of the outfitters that operate in New Zealand, they'll have, uh, like us, we own our own 3,000 acre private property, others will have a lease or a right to access. Um, we're doing the reverse, we're actively, every season we're culling out the poor gen- genetics and we're letting the good genetics breed up. And we're managing them. So we'll harvest trophies at 7, 8 or 9 years old. We won't be harvesting them at 3 years old. We'll let the 3-year-olds come through. Talk a little bit about, from a government standpoint as well, I've heard
0: that, you know, there have been times where they just, anything out on public ground, they just want them all dead. They want to kill them all. Which then led a lot of the private property owners to fencing their properties and placing a value on those animals exactly. because they do have value. Yep and there's a little bit of a misconception that you know why that happened yeah from my perspective it's protecting those animals because if they're just out on the public they're going to get gunned down yeah talk about that
1: yeah so very much and our our property's high fence and and in all reality if you're after a trophy stag in new zealand you want to be on a high fence managed property because we can control the genetics and we can let the stags grow old um and if we didn't have those high fences, our good genetics would be roaming out into the um, public estate. We we border onto public estate, um, and we would be losing those genetics. Um, the poorer genetics would come in, and hunters would come in. You know, poaching does occur in New Zealand. Um, people love to hunt. Uh, we don't have the strict rules that you have in America of going to jail if you poach. You know, so they kind of get away lightly with it, um, and it's just really important if, if you're going to deliver these quality stags and, and other species in their absolute prime that you manage those populations out out in the wild um there's there's great animals there's good animals um there's a lot more hunting pressure um like Miriam and i we just run one hunt at a time so so we focus really importantly on it's the holiday of a lifetime for people and we often sit there and put ourselves in their shoes and go, you know Miriam and I met working in the ski industry and if we were in, in Canada Heli skiing, that's a lifelong trip for us and how would we like to be treated? Sure. Um, and so we, we replicate that with every one of our hunts. So um, I diverse, but anyway we come back to the, the hunting on, on private properties um, we just run one hunt at a time. We know how many hunts we're running a year. We know how to manage our animals year to year to year. That's awesome.
0: And are you hunting outside of the roar for stag as well? Yeah. Um, kind of a spot and stock style or are you primarily focusing on the roar?
1: We, we will hunt red stag um, from late February right through until even June. So they, they don't drop, they don't cast their antlers until August. Um, June, July we're starting to get into the depths of our winter and the animals, um, they lose a lot of um, body condition after the rut. And then if we start getting early snows after the rut then we can get some deaths. you can see them getting pretty lean. Occasionally we'll chuck out a bit of supplementary feed um, if we're concerned about their health, those sorts of things. but we will hunt them right through, we've, we've definitely, the, the stag here at the front, that's a 509 inch stag that was harvested in June, you know, oh, no. and it's a, it's a great looking stag. Oh, no. um, so, yeah, and what we've got is we've got the red stag rut, which is in late March and April, and then our other alpine species, so the the tar and the chamois, which are phenomenal hunts, they're a lot like the um, the Alaskan sheep hunts, mm-hmm. that sort of style mm-hmm. of, of hunt. Um, so they're in the rut in May and June. So when we when we talk to people at the booth here, Miriam and I are sitting there going, Okay, are we is, is your primary target a red stag in the rut and you want a tar as well, we can deliver that? Or is your primary target um a big black-bodied tar in the rut and you'd like a a red stag. And that then uh, um, enables us to say, well, you're better off to come in March and April or you're better off to come in May and June. So we can deliver across the spectrum. Um, We just need to find out what people's priorities are. Sure. One of the
0: things that I'm hearing that's pretty neat is you kind of transition from red stag into the the tar and chamois where you're getting the best of both worlds. It would almost be like Kind of like in, in the U.S. where you've got elk that are rutting, then all of a sudden it turns into mule deer that are rutting. And it would be like all of a sudden then the turkey you're gobbling. You know, yep. it's like a just boom, boom, boom. Yeah. From your perspective as a guide, as the outfitter, as a hunter... It's got to be awesome to be able to kind of just go all in with this and then kind of transition to the next and keep you just fired up. And you get to see both animals or or several of the animals
1: rutting and doing their thing. And just to even crank the excitement up a little bit more, right in the first weekend of May is the opening of our duck season. And is uh, it good? Oh, it's great. And it's a big part of New Zealand culture. Uh, most farmers will not be able to be seen for the whole weekend because they'll just go into their hides, or we call them my mice. And um, it's a very social occasion and just everyone gets into it, which is really fun. And we keep that, um, we, don't, we don't do a lot of bird shooting um, guiding, we just keep that for our own enjoyment. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah it's really fun, but exactly that, we've got the red stag rut, flying right into the start of the tar and chamois rut and right at that time when the transition is happening we've got opening of the duck season. That's awesome. So um, it's definitely the favourite time of the year, you know, like from late February when the trout fishing is really good and then we're straight into a red stag rut and then we're into duck shooting and then we're into the, um, the tar and the chamois rut and then the, the ski season comes, you yeah. know, so New Zealand we're just, we live in paradise, we're very, very lucky, yeah. I heard you talk about taking
0: one hunter at a time, mm-hmm. and so it's a very personalized approach. Um, do you get where you have, you know, maybe a small family or a husband and wife where they come and you just kind of focus on them and their group, act, and act, and it's act, really it's a personal deal from start to finish
1: start to finish like so miriam and i we've we've really sat back and looked at our business and we said that's where we get the most pleasure and that's also where we can deliver the highest standard so we're not a lodge where we've got multiple guides and we're managing all of that and those sorts of things and then um so we meet people here or we we talk to them on the phone or over the internet and and then you build that you know, a lot of people here have been coming back and seeing us for three years in a row and then they're putting down their deposit for a hunt two years sure. out. Um, so you're building that relationship and then we see them uh, at the show here and then they're coming out four weeks later and we pick them up in Christchurch airport. And you're just really getting excited and, and that's building. But then we take them home and everything is very personalised. Whether that is a single hunter, so um, this year, we uh, last season we started the season with a single hunter that we'd been dealing with for three years um, through to probably the maximum we do now is we've had a family of eight Um, the perfect sort of size is two hunting couples Mm -hmm. I think that's where you get that real um, connection with everyone there's not too much going on so whether it's a we get a lot of couples we get quite a few honeymoon type trips Mm -hmm. um, and And a lot of um, two couples travelling together. So um, the husband and wives, either they, all four of them hunt or two of them are hunting. Mm -hmm. But we ensure that the non-hunters are having an incredible experience as well as the hunters. Sure. Which is really, and and Miriam and I just keep it as personalised as we can possibly make it. We do all the guiding, we do all the food prep we deliver all the meals. Yeah. Um you'll see the meals on the TV and, and, Marianne, and in the brochure. That, that's really her specialty too. She's really good
0: at all of that aspect of the business. Yeah,
1: I'm not quite sure how she does it because she's a very good guide and she comes out so we're out there guiding together every day together. And then she goes home and whips up these like restaurant quality or better meals. Yeah. You know, I'm out there out animals yeah. and hanging meat <laughs> in the freezer and next minute we you know everyone's jumping in the shower and we walk back in and we just sit there and go how did you do yeah. that because only two hours ago you was caping yeah. out a red stag, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know and carrying it out so um, her skills around that just and and you can read it in our testimonials on our website mm-hmm. um, it's, it's unbelievable how she delivers that stuff that's just yeah. and we as such a strong team, and I feel very fortunate the fact that um, we we both can live work and, and and be husband and wife together and just have a great love for each other. Um, we're very privileged because a lot of people can't work together as husband mm-hmm. and wife. Um, so we we rate that very highly and I think that flows through to the clients, yeah yeah. I want to give you a chance to make sure that you can tell the listeners
0: where they can reach out to you, how they can connect with you. I want to make sure you do that. Um, I also follow you on Instagram. I think it's at Backcountry New Zealand, but I'll I'll let you tell where, how people can best get a hold of you. And to the listeners out there, I've personally gone with these two and look forward to going back. And, um, you know, I just know how good you guys are with people, how, how truly into it you are and it's not just a business it's a it's it's a lifestyle very much and it's connecting with people and making lifelong friends and you know in our industry it's 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 pretty rare yeah you get a lot of businesses you know and bless their heart they're just trying to make a living but you guys this is more than making a living this is you guys this is your life and you know you just you're so personable and I see you I walk by and see you talking to people and just see the way you're interacting and I think people pick that up on this podcast as well. Yep. So I encourage people to reach out, but I want to give you a chance to let people know.
1: Well, and thanks, Jay. It's, I mean, it's been a pleasure knowing you over all of these years. We can't wait to get you back. It will be a February, March time so that mm-hmm. you can fish and see mm-hmm. the rut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and we need to get you a big red stag. And, um... I have to, just before I go into that, I think I just need to express how grateful we are for our children as well. So we've got a a 20 year old daughter and a 16 year old daughter and a 13 year old son and they're a big part of our business. Um, They're often, they've got a big list on the fridge, refrigerator that they come home to after school or university every day which is when we're out guiding we're going hey these are the tasks that you guys have. Um, They play a big part. And, um, so it's a whole team. It's a whole team, mm-hmm. even the dogs involved. But uh, <laughs> you know the old Springer Spaniel. He's a great dog. But um the the kids play a big part of that, and it comes through in our testimonials, and people love meeting them. And they've, you know, they're just a great little asset. They're very personable, also. And I, I learned that way. I started at Lake Brunner Lodge on the west coast of New Zealand, which was one of the first fly fishing lodges, when I was twelve in the school holidays, and and those skills that you Uh, Develop as an individual when you've been dealing with people from all over the world um, is pretty important to everything. So, reaching out to us, you know, obviously we come to the Hunt Expo every year. We're at booth 326, um, and a lot of people come here. Um, Instagram is is at Backcountry New Zealand. Our website is backcountrynewzealand.com. That's an ever evolving website in the winter when I get a chance to. And uh, we're also on. Facebook, which is um, Facebook slash hunting NZ, and or or just search for backcountry New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and otherwise you can just give us a call, send us an email. Um, Any of those messaging things that we try and keep up with is uh, in our late 40s, you know, and our kids know everything about social media. (laughs) Oh, Miriam's just saying she's not in her late 40s, but (laughs) uh, perhaps that's just me. I'm the the late 40 type guy. She
0: definitely ages better than
1: you do. She ages a lot better. (laughs) She's laughing away here. She ages a lot better than I do, but... uh, yeah so it's, it's been an absolute pleasure Jay yeah. and um, it's so nice after all these years to actually sit down and do this and catch up properly and for sure, we're, both, we're both busy people and we message occasionally and, yeah. and say hi occasionally. It's
0: always great to see you too and um, just excited to get this out to the listeners and uh, look forward to seeing your success. You're going to leave here and you know, head right into your seasons and such, so I'm excited for you guys and yeah. I just really appreciate you taking the time before the show. The show's just about to kick off and yep. it's already been a really busy show. Yeah, it Today's a great Saturday, show. it should be
1: crazy. So yeah, today goes crazy. Yeah. 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 I won't be doing a lot of talking at nine o'clock tonight, I can tell <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <that. laughs> hey, thanks so much, thanks, Jay. Buddy. Really right. appreciate it. God bless. Okay, All thank right. you.